Welcome to another episode of the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was in a relationship with my ex for 32 years. We were married for 30. We have an amazing adult daughter who'll be 25 this month. And we didn't find out that we were in a neurodiverse relationship until our 29th year of marriage. And I'm here with my co-host, Manisa. Hi, I'm Manisa, and I'm in a neurodiverse relationship with my husband. We've been together for eight years and married for six years. And we found out that he was neurodiverse in our fourth year of marriage. Awesome. Awesome. So we have a very interesting topic we want to talk about today. And it's one that was suggested by somebody who's been listening to the podcast. And also it's something that we've talked about in the support groups. And that is the issue of uh, diagnosis and whether or not it's important to get a formal diagnosis as an adult how it impacts the relationship, whether it's a self-diagnosis or a formal diagnosis, or if the partner suspects that their partner is on the spectrum, but there's denial. And so I think we'll address each one of those and how um, those topics impacted our relationship. And um, I'll start with a little bit about my story, which I've shared in other podcasts, but I'll revisit it because I think it's really important since there's so many people that listen to the podcast and uh, are involved in the support group whose partners don't have formal diagnoses and they've been with them for many, many, many years. So as I said in the intro, I was with my ex for 29 years before I even suspected that he might be on the spectrum. And the conversation, for those of you that have been following us, came after Olga, who was my original co-host, shared with me about her boyfriend, who she thought um, had a different way of functioning. And the more I recognized my ex in uh, Olga's boyfriend, the more lights went off in my head. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I did this the wrong way, Manisa, (laughs) totally the wrong way. And I, you know, if I could go back and buy a time machine, I would definitely have done it differently. But my ex and I were um, away for the weekend and he had had a meltdown. He normally didn't have meltdowns. They were shutdowns, but he had a meltdown. Somebody else might've called in an anxiety attack. He was not in a good place because he had done something incorrectly while we were away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like an alarm that went off at the vacation spot we were at. And he had been told specifically not to touch this thing, but he did. I don't even remember why. Mm -hmm. And he just was out of control. And he he just, I, I couldn't get him to calm down. And he was he was like berating himself and he was, he was angry at the incident. He was angry at himself. It was, it was not good. And I just, finally, I had reached my boiling point because I couldn't do anything to calm him down. And I finally said to him, uh, I think you are on the autism spectrum or you have Asperger's and I think you need to go get assessed. (laughs) And, And I screamed it at him. And, you know, I wish I could take it back. I can't. So I'm sharing this because it may be something that others have done. Mm-hmm. And then he started screaming at me and telling me um, that I always think that I know best for other people and that I have I do no wrong. And, you know, he really got on the defensive mm-hmm. and and it was just a horrible night. It was a horrible night. We got in, you know, just a humongous fight. We were spiraling and, you know, it was bad. And so that was in 2017 and mid like summertime. And we had been separated for almost a year and a half at that time. And the more I researched this topic, the more I shared with him. Mm-hmm. And as I started sharing it with him, he had some aha moments and some understanding and gradually came to accept that, yeah, this was probably 
why he had experienced the things he had experienced as a kid and as a teenager and even as an adult. Right. Yeah. But I still felt like um, a diagnosis would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And he hemmed and hawed. And then probably about six to eight months after we had had this blowout and we talked about it a lot and I thought he was coming to an understanding. He agreed to go for an assessment. Okay. And I had read everything I could get my hands on, you know, how does the assessment process work? Who should you go to? And then as an adult, who else should go along for the assessment or the diagnosis and everything I read, Manisa, said that you should absolutely, if you are in a relationship, mm-hmm. have your partner join you at some point during the assessment assessment process. And if your parents are still living or siblings or you have adult children and they are available, it is also helpful to have them included in the assessment process. So, so he made an appointment to go see a local, um, therapist specialist in autism and he canceled the appointment Mm. and um his reasoning was i can't afford it well he i don't even think he knew what the cost would be just i don't think he was ready to go to be honest with you and then um i said okay then we're done we're done i'm i'm filing for divorce Uh, you know if you're not willing to help yourself and to figure out you know, what's going on. And then for us to work together as a couple to create strategies for improving our relationship, then I I can't do this anymore. Mind you, by this time, we'd been separated almost two years. Okay. And, and then I went and got the divorce papers and I brought them to his house. And um, when he came over to bring the signed papers to me at my house, um, he, I said, are you not, you're definitely not going for the assessment. And he said, um, well, I can't afford it. And I said, well, I'll pay for it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, I said, if you will go, I will wait to file the papers, the divorce papers. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. So he did make another appointment. And he said, and he uh-huh. went, yeah, he went and the, the specialist said to him, or at least this is what my ex told me that uh, it's very difficult to diagnose adults mm-hmm. and that he was probably on the spectrum, but so what? At least this is what my ex told me. And uh, that gave him, um, I guess, the the okay to just be how he had been during the separation, which wasn't good. Mm-hmm. He hadn't been treating me well. Um, and that he wasn't going to do any work um, he wasn't going to work on our relationship and he was done. Mm-hmm. And, um, about a month later we actually filed for divorce. So that's my story. I have more to share, but I'd like to kind of turn it over to you and, and see if you have any thoughts or if you want to share your story. Yeah, I'll share my story. But I have, I have a few questions about your story and, you know, I've heard it before. Um, but hearing it again, that's just so many aha moments. I wanted to back up because I think um, you shared before that one of the main reasons why uh, he may not have been willing to do the work is that you guys were like 32 years into your relationship. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he just kind of felt like burned out or just exhausted or just not willing to try. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. And I know that now and I don't blame him. Um, you know, he thought he gave it all in our marriage and he gave all he could give. And now I understand that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't fault him for that, but I think there were still more things both of us could do individually and as a couple, but you've got to want to do it. Yeah, that is true. And when you Mona, when you said that you, you know, said to him that I believe you you have Asperger's. Did he have any idea what that word was? Did he, had he heard it before? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's been so, so long ago. I think that uh, Olga and I had gone on a double date with um, her boyfriend at the time who, you know, 
has been the person she's been talking about throughout the podcast and my ex. Mm -hmm. And I had told him, you know, why I had come to this, you know, conclusion or had these ideas that my ex was on the spectrum. And so he got to meet Olga's boyfriend at the time. And what was so interesting, I think I've mentioned this in another podcast, is they were so awkward around each other. And he was so awkward around Olga. Mm -hmm. And um, once the two of them hit on a common interest, which was music, they couldn't stop talking to each other. Yeah. (laughs) And it was so cute. Mm -hmm. But it was so interesting, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, so he, yeah, he had heard about it. And you got to remember, just like your husband, he worked in IT. He's worked in IT for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. So um, whether or not he was willing to admit it, a lot of the people that he's worked with are definitely on the spectrum, for sure. Yes. For sure. My husband says that all the time. Um, he's like, there's there's one of my friends, you know, he, he identifies and, and recognizes that to the point where I've said to him, a prof- he said, I talk all the time at work. I said, of course you do. You're talking about something that you have in common with the people that you work with. So right. a professional skill set is not the same as a personal skill set in a relationship. Right. So um, I think it's just so interesting that thir- 32 years, Mona, 32 years at what year did the light bulb come on and you say, you know what? I think something's a little different. I knew it from the beginning. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it, great question. I knew it from the beginning. I knew that we were different. I remember having a conversation with him because he was so different than me and we were getting serious. And I'm like, um, I think I, I was sick. I think I was, I was getting myself really uh, um, emotional and I was anxious about, cause I knew our relationship was moving forward. And I'm like, what are we going to talk about? What are we, cause, cause I knew he had a few interests um, that weren't necessarily my interests, but we did have common interests, but I was doing all the talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember that happening over and over again and him being very supportive but not saying a lot and I had dated a bunch of guys before him even though I was only 21 um and he I don't know that he really had done much dating before um but I he used to do he used to copy people's accents and I've posted this on Instagram the echolalia yeah where um and he would do that all the time when we were first together, like our first year of our relationship. And I would laugh because I thought it was funny, but he kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, he thinks this is okay. And it's not Mm -hmm. because somebody's going to punch him in the face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I remember often he would tell me, you know, um, I'll call you or we'll get together. And then I wouldn't hear from him. Mm-hmm. And um, just so many things now that made sense. I think there was stimming going on. He always had to have either bubble gum or a straw or a cigarette in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loved his car at the time. It was um, an old, old car, like a 1970, you know, like mm-hmm. a Mopar car. And he treated that car better than anything in the world. And I couldn't understand. I mean, he loved that car. It was mm-hmm. like a love affair with the car, which is, I know something a lot of men do. Right. But it was, it was unusual to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just a lot of things. Yeah. So yeah. I knew at the beginning and we, I, I was ready to divorce him after four years of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, he asked me to stay. And after a lot of thinking, I did. And mm-hmm. yeah. So I, new yeah go ahead (laughs) so that brings me to another question and that is when did you Mona first hear the word Asperger's or come in contact with that term I didn't and and I think that's what's so crazy um I had heard of autism when I was growing up we had um my babysitter had a sister who was who was autistic and um, she was nonverbal and she would do, you know, self-injury. And, and that is the only thing I had ever seen related to autism. And I don't even know, I may have heard Asperger's in passing, mm-hmm. um, 
but you know, I have my bachelor's, my master's and my PhD in social work, but because I went to school in the eighties, Asperger's and autism spectrum disorder were not in the DSM. I, right. The DSM four is what I learned under. And so I, it, it really was Olga. It was mm-hmm. Olga and I having this discussion. And then as soon as we had the discussion, I delved deep into everything I could find on the subject yeah. before I approached my ex. Yeah. Yeah. Great, that... great questions. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I believe that knowledge is power. I think you and I have discussed that we are alike in the sense that once we uh, find out what something is, then we want to learn everything we can learn about it. Yes. Uh, because it also validates our experience. Right. And it tells yeah. us that what we're feeling is what we're feeling and it's okay. Yeah. So like with me, um, I've been in public Asian public education for 28 years and I've heard the, the word, you know, autistic, this child is autistic thrown around, but it was in a very generalized sense, meaning that, you know, they, they are in a world by themselves, but never really spent time with an autistic child to realize that there are so many different um, types of characteristics of autism, not just, you know, being in your own world. Right. That's why it's called the spectrum. Right. But um, in 2013, I started going to uh, school to become a board certified behavior analyst. And I did a deep delve into autism. It was one of our courses. And one night we, we talked about um, Hans Asperger's, who actually was the man that, you know, named Asperger's. And when they were listing the characteristics, I remember on the on the smart board and they were in the little bullets were just coming up. I was like, Oh my God, you know, that's at the time, my boyfriend, like mm-hmm. that's my boyfriend. Um, we started dating and it was so hard looking back now to really determine if this was just the newness of a relationship or this was something different mm-hmm. because you know, when you meet someone, sometimes the conversation doesn't flow you know, as, as natural because you're getting to know each other. So I just kind of chalked it up as that. Well, you know, mm-hmm. maybe he's just still getting to know me. And that's why we'd have these huge gaps in conversation. Um, but then I realized it was more than that because we had been dating for like three or four months. And I remember we were at home one night at his house having dinner and it was just the two of us. And it was like, he was speaking Spanish and I was speaking German. We mm. just could not ping pong a conversation. Mm-hmm. I remember the awkwardness of it. I remember his eyes looking all over, the, all over the room. I remember me feeling bad for him thinking like, wow, he is really struggling to keep this conversation going. And that's when I started to look, really be a keen observer at some of the behaviors. Mm-hmm. I remember when I would tell him, that friends are in town and they want to come over and meet him. He would have a meltdown. Those are your friends. Those are not my friends. Why do they want to come over here? I got things to do. I'm not going to be here. And I would just feel like someone had just hit me in the gut. Like, where is this emotion coming from? I understand now it was anxiety and fear. Sure. But it didn't look like that. Then it looked like he was being a complete jerk. Mm-hmm. And then as our relationship you know, begin to go on and on. And of course, me being who I am, every time something like that would happen, I would stop and have a conversation about it. And he would not be accountable. You know, he would put it back on me and you're overreacting. And what did I say that was wrong? And everything I said was true, you know, that kind of thing. And then I remember um, I was having a conversation with him and he would not turn around and look at me in my eyes. And it wasn't like a hard conversation. It was just something, you know, sharing about my day. And I remember like, he's not even looking at me. Um, and then, so I just, again, I just kind of kept that in my little memory and just started observing. We, we had gotten, we had engaged, got married. So now we're like in year two of our relationship. And then two years after, um, you know, being married, it was constant fights every day. I mean, every single day all based on communication. I Mm -hmm. thought you said this, but you said this, but that's not what I meant, but that's what you said, you know, just back and (laughs) forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, 
And then like you, Mona, I just, I started just reading everything I could get my hand on. YouTube videos. And uh, when they we were at Jersey Mike's, we were eating a sub in the car. And I said to him, do you know who Bill Gates is? You know who Steve Jobs is? And he's like, yeah. I said, do you know who uh, Elon Musk is? The guy who made the Tesla? I said, they all have this thing called extremely bright men, highly intelligent uh, in their professional world, but go with social emotional cues. And I said, I think that's what you have. And he received it. So then Which I had, a, yeah. yeah, I had, I had some videos of someone who um, caters to neurotypical women uh, on YouTube. He caters, I mean, he makes most of his videos for us. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would like for you to listen to one of his videos. And when he listened to it, he was saying things like, can you rewind that again? Can you play <laughs> that part again? And he to hear more about this. So um, we started listening to the videos together and he became intrigued, like, wow. No wonder that I behaved this way when I was in high school or no wonder why this happened in my, because both of us had been married before. No wonder mm-hmm. why this happened in my previous marriage. It, it like opened up knowing what it was called, opened up this whole world for him of, okay, there are more than, I'm not the only one, right? you know, I'm not, the, not just this weird guy, but then kind of like your ex-husband, Mona, there was no to go beyond, I wasn't sharing videos with him. He wasn't watching videos. Right. And came a thing in our marriage where, you know, I said, we need to go to counseling. Um, and, you know, we need to find, you know, how to do these skills together. And then it was actually this year where he himself said, a formal diagnosis. And I said, do you doubt that you have Asperger's? And he said, no, I don't. I don't doubt. He said, but I would just like to have a formal diagnosis. I said, okay, that's, that's up to you. And I supported him in that. But I said to him, you know, whether you go and get a formal diagnosis or not, it does not change my experience with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that this does not resemble um, an, uh, a relationship that where autism does not exist. Right. You know, I'm in this field every day. These are my folks. These are who I study. And you fit the, the category to a T. Right. Um, so, and that's another discussion. Like, do you feel a diagnosis, uh, Mona, as an adult is necessary? No, I really, really don't. And I think, and and thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so interesting that we have such different journeys and such different stories. And I really think that everybody that I've met and everybody that I talk to also has such a different story. Sometimes, you know, you reach the point where, you know, you've been studying and you've been researching and then, you know, in a fit of anger, you tell your partner, you think that they've got Asperger's or they're on the autism spectrum or in a very kind, caring way, you tell them and then they lash out Mm -hmm. or you both, um, you know, look at videos or read books together and you realize, yes, this is, you know, your partner. However you learn and whether you get a formal diagnosis or not, I think kind of what you said, this is the truth of our relationship. We have for, and I can only speak to my ex and I, um, we have serious communication challenges that neither one of us have anywhere else. However, the difference is I had a great relationship with my family. I had a great relationship with his family. I had a great, I have a great relationship with our daughter. I have tons of friends and I'm a very social person and all my relationships are very different, right? Right. And he had no friends. He did not answer the phone when his family called. Um, You know, he did not want to uh, leave the house to socialize. He did not want to leave his we used to call it a bat cave it was a closet (laughs) that he made into an office and a little studio um he did not want to leave the bat cave to go anywhere 
And, and it wasn't because he didn't love his family. It wasn't because he didn't love me. It wasn't because he didn't love our daughter. It was because when he was overwhelmed, he needed his downtime and he needed his alone time. And those were big, uh, I, I don't want I red flags, Manisa, but they weren't red flags. They were just issues that made me go, what's going on? Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and, and it was so different than anything I had ever experienced before. And I just, I would talk to my friends and their partners weren't going through the same thing. They weren't, they weren't experiencing the same, same things. I know if you, um, if you need to go get water or take a break, feel free. I mean, oh, I'm good. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. I know you're not feeling a hundred percent. Um, so, so I think, I think that it's really, really important whether your partner gets a diagnosis or not, mm-hmm. to focus on how you can bridge the challenges and the differences in a way that will make each one of you thrive as individuals and help support you to thrive as a couple. I don't know that the diagnosis at this point you know, when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, makes that much of a difference if you both acknowledge that you have these differences that are creating challenges and mm-hmm. and anger and resentment and a divide. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh, absolutely. It makes sense, Mona. And like for you and I, even without the formal diagnosis, um, you and I are informed that's the word you have to be like, you have to be informed about what Asperger's is, how it affects your relationships. And then you also have to be, I think Dr. Ali Arena said this in our last podcast, you have to sit down together as a couple and you have to assess what is my partner's capability as far as communication, as far as intimacy, like you've got to be able to assess like, this is what I want, but is my partner capable to give me this, uh, uh, capable of giving me this? Right. But and, you, you got to uh, know what that this is. Like, you have to be very aware right. uh, of what your needs are, but you have to also be aware if your partner, your neurotypical partner is capable of meeting those needs. You mean your neurodiverse partner? Your neurodiverse. I'm sorry. Neurodiverse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it goes both ways. And, and after doing the podcast for a year and, you know, having the Instagram account and doing all this work, I think it goes both ways. And this is, this is what I mean. Um, I had to be accepting of the fact that my ex needed a lot of downtime Mm -hmm. and a lot of alone time and a lot of time to just literally sit in his, in his room and create he might never do anything with what he created. And this used to create a lot of um, resentment and anger on my part. He had hundreds of songs or a hundred songs. And he had all this stuff he had created that he never put out to the world. Mm-hmm. And he was very, he is very, very talented and gifted. And I just didn't get it. But I think that those things that he created were for him. Right. They allowed him to unwind and decompress and maybe reduce anxiety and it brought him joy, but he didn't have to give it to the world for that joy to be a part of his life. And so on my part, I needed to stop asking, what are you going to do with that stuff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I needed to find outlets for my um, desire for more emotional connection and whatever, instead of counting on him for that. Right. Exactly. And then, and then it goes with him, you know, um, he needed to look at whether or not he wanted to give me the things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think it got to the point after 32 years, which sometimes it's hard for me when I say that out loud, it's almost like, it's somebody else's life. I can't yeah. believe I was married for 30 years and with him for 32 and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because one of the things that I think I've said in another pa- podcast, neither one of us stopped loving each other. Right. I mean, um, I'm not in love with him anymore, but I will always love him. We mm-hmm. did never stopped loving each other. Right. We just couldn't 
get a, we didn't have the tools to get along. Right. And we found out about Asperger's too late. Mm-hmm. And we were already separated and he was enjoying living on his own and, mm-hmm. and at peace, I think. So, yeah. So I, let me ask you this question, Mona. So you said that he did go to see someone and he got somewhat of a, of a diagnosis, which he kind of dismissed and said that, you know, the, the person said, so what? Right. Um, do you think that if someone is neurodiverse, that they should disclose that to someone they're in a relationship with? Personally, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it doesn't have to be on the first date. No. Um, but I, yeah, just like uh, I take, I'm on uh, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started taking them during our separation. Okay. And I had postpartum depression after our daughter was born. I had it really, really bad for two years. Mm-hmm. So when I started dating the guy that I dated for almost a year Um, And it was about a year and a half after my divorce uh, when, you know, we were getting to a point of more than just a few dates. I absolutely told him that I was on Cymbalta. Mm -hmm. I told him that I had dealt with, you know, depression and anxiety um, at various times throughout my life. And it, you know, ramped up during my separation. And I wanted him to know that that was a part of the woman that he was getting involved with. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's, I personally think it's important. I'm sure if we were to poll our listeners, they'd be all over as far as, um, that, but what do you think? And I hope I don't sound, um, like I'm just being too intense, but I think it's cruel not to disclose. And Mm -hmm. I say that because, um, these relationships are extremely challenging and, I think you need to give the person a choice of whether or not they're going to be willing to, first of all, say you, you know, enter into a relationship with someone, um, say your ex enters into a relationship with someone who knows absolutely nothing about Asperger's. And so they're in this relationship with him and they're noticing that he's spending a large amount of time, not with, not with them. Um, like, Like all the things you would expect to be happening in a neurotypical relationship. And they're, they're being hurt because of it. They're feeling rejected. That's why I say I think it's almost cruel not to disclose. Yeah. I think, I think it's, you have to be responsible and say, you know, I have Asperger's and sometimes relationships are extremely hard for me and it may look like this or that. And I just want to, you know, put that out there so that you'll know that this is going to be a challenge and, you know, if you're willing to meet that challenge or not, I, I think you have to be responsible and share that. I do. I, I, I agree with you. And like I said, we may get pushback, but the other thing, I mean, I've dated men who were, um, alcoholics, but in recovery and had been in recovery for years. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember one guy I went out with, he told me that the first date, he said, I want you to know that I'm a recovering alcoholic. I do not drink. I will not drink. I will go with you out to a bar but I will not drink. And if that's mm-hmm. an issue um, for you, I understand. I just want to be upfront with you. And I really appreciated that. Absolutely. And, and the guy I dated <clears throat> after my divorce, um, he, he is an alcoholic. And he told me like the first time we went out, he said, I'm a high functioning alcoholic. I have a job. I, you know, pay my bills. I do all those things, but I drink a lot mm-hmm. and I call myself a high functioning alcoholic. And if not, that's not something that you're comfortable with. I just want you to know it's not going to change. Hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, I told him about the, the, um, antidepressant anti-anxiety medication right so so i think that you know i think it's harder when um maybe you're young and yes and you've been bullied and you've been ridiculed and you've been criticized and you've been an outcast and it's fresh and you've been hurt so many times i can understand why you might not want to disclose in the beginning of the relationship and maybe you can mask and you can use a script and you can be on your best behavior. But I agree with you. It's, it's, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. Um, Because after, you know, after three to six months of dating, 
things are going to start to happen. Like you oh, yeah. get more serious. And mm-hmm. then if you're not being honest and you're masking or using a script and then all of a sudden, and this has happened with a lot of people in the support group, the partner then completely changes yes. when they move in under the same roof or they get married. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it, it can be devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call that, you know, once the honeymoon phase is over of dating and then you start having real relationship challenges and problems, then, you know, you start seeing that anxiety and that fear and then reacting to small things in a major intense way. Like I was talking about feeling like someone punched me in the gut and I was just standing there. Mm -hmm. Um, I've said that to my husband plenty of times before, as far as his reacting to things that I didn't even know that he was upset about. I said to me, it's like I'm opening my arms wide and I'm running towards you, smiling and happy to see you. But then once I get there, expecting you to hug me back, I get a punch in the gut. And I'm wondering, like, where did that come from? Right. I said, that's how I feel sometimes with some of your reactions to things, um, <clears throat> which, again, is is part of the disclosure so that you can learn how to talk about those feelings and um, what to do with those feelings so that you won't feel like you're being punched in the gut. Right. Um, it may just take a small awareness of your neural um, diverse person to realize like, you know what, I'm feeling really attacked right now. And just saying those words out loud, instead of reacting, they can respond with, I'm feeling attacked right now. And I really don't want to say or do anything to hurt you. You know, that's something that my husband and I are working on. Um, And one of the things also, it's like, I don't need you to validate my hurt. I just need you to understand that I'm hurt Mm -hmm. and meet me where I am. Mm -hmm. Because if not, we're going to spend another two hours on you telling me why you didn't do what I said you did. Like, that's not important. Right. But again, that comes with the disclosure and learning how to work through those things, you know. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think this is a really important topic for a lot of people to kind of think through because, and I've said this before, I don't know if I had known at the beginning of our relationship that I would have done anything different, but at four years of marriage, I wanted a divorce because things were different than I wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. And if at that time, you know, Asperger's or autism spectrum disorder had been something in either one of our heads and it had been a diagnosis that we could have gone and got. um, And then I knew more of what it meant in a relationship and what I, if I knew more of what it meant when we were going to have kids and everything, Um, then I would have had to choose by that time. I was already madly in love with my ex, Right. you know, I think I would have done the work, Mm -hmm. but because we didn't have the knowledge and we didn't have any, you know, self or formal diagnosis, it just seemed like it wasn't the communication challenges and our different ways of functioning and all of that, it just seemed so challenging for two people that loved each other very much. It mm-hmm. just, and no therapist could help. Right. None of them were experts in, in um, autism spectrum, you know, yeah. the autism yeah. spectrum. So, so yeah. So, so um, I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to share before we go to lessons learned? Yeah. I just wanted to say that I think, you know, um, to, to, to diagnose or not diagnose is the question. I think the most important thing is just paying attention to your partner, mm-hmm. um, knowing what things are difficult for you, as you would do in any relationship, but especially in a neurodiverse relationship, because it does have a whole nother layer of support that is needed. Because oftentimes the neurotypicals will be actually doing more work than the neurodiverse. Um yeah, but I make that very clear to my husband and he he will say to me, well, I'm not like you. I'm not going to read every book. I'm not going to watch every YouTube video. And I said, well, I'm not going to read every book a, a lot. Yeah, I'm not going to watch every video either, but a lot. Yes. But the, the point is that you are informed about you and what how how you operate. That's all I'm asking. And I always say, you know, with or without me, if I wasn't here tomorrow, and you were, you know, off for the rest of your life to live your life without me, 
how would you navigate in this world as an Aspie without being informed? And I said, it's no different than me going to the doctor and them telling me I have cancer. And then I walk out and be like, okay, let me resume my life as normal. No, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I can live, you know, the most optimum healthy life um, as someone who's, you know, trying to be cancer free. And although Asperger's is never going to go away, there are some things that you can do to help your relationship function a lot better. Right. So both that's partners, part, yeah. both yeah. partners. Absolutely. Both partners. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> well, that's a great, it's a great point. So before we go to lessons learned, I want to, I want to talk about this a little bit. I think, um, and again, this is just my experience and um, I have invited my ex to come on the podcast. He did turn me down. I wish he would, because I think it would be great for people to hear his side of the story mm-hmm. um, and his experience. But what I realize is throughout our relationship, he used to say to me, I always dreamed of being Grizzly Adams. And there was a show, and I don't <laughs> rem- know if you remember it, but Grizzly Adams was a TV show. Uh-huh. And it was a guy with a long beard and a mustache and long hair, and he was friends with a bear. Mm -hmm. and um, he lived in the woods and I thought oh my gosh that would be so friggin boring I could (laughs) never be grizzly grizzly Adams you know I thought what the heck who would want to do that anyway but and he also said um, to me I always thought it would be nice to be a truck driver now Mm -hmm. my my ex is probably genius okay Mm -hmm. and um, he has so many talents and skills And I thought, why would you, and this is what I thought, and maybe this is not the right thing to say, but I'm going to say it. Why would you waste your talents and Mm -hmm. your skills and want to be a truck driver? And he just said to me, you know, being on the open road, being alone, alone, um, having my own schedule, not having to answer to anybody, not having, you know, a boss there with me, just being my own boss pretty much just sounds wonderful. I understand that now. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. And so um, whether he has a formal diagnosis and a piece of paper or not, he is, I truly believe he is living the life that he was meant to live um, probably always. Mm-hmm. And that is a life where he has a small apartment and he's been there since our separation. He may never leave. I don't know. Um, and he's renting. He doesn't own. So if there's anything that goes wrong, he calls his landlord. Okay. He has had the same job for 10 years in IT. His boss is extremely flexible and mm-hmm. um, allows him to come in whenever he wants, as long as he gets his work done. And he, what he does is he stays after the store has closed. He stays there until he gets his work done. And his boss is okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the last I knew he had a girlfriend and I think they've been seeing each other for two years and, uh, maybe longer. I don't know. Um, and I think it is a very simple relationship. She's been married multiple times. Mm -hmm. She has no kids and I think her last husband died. So she's a widow. Okay. And so there's, and there's no real complications, you know, mm-hmm. um, I asked him last time I saw him, which was back in May, you know, how often do you guys see each other? And he's like, um, sometimes once a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I'm like, he has the life he wanted. Right. Um, when we had challenges, mm-hmm. he wanted to be left alone and to do his own thing and to work at his own pace at a job that he knew and to be able to be with a partner whenever he wanted to be and on his terms. And so I think for any, um, anybody who's autistic, who's listening, I think it's really important whether you have a formal diagnosis or not to be honest with your partner Mm -hmm. about what your needs are. And my ex wasn't honest. Um, I don't think he was honest with himself. Um, And if he would have told me, I need this when I get home from work, I need this time on the weekend. If he would have communicated that to me, I think we could have worked that part out. But instead, 
he just I laugh, but he would ignore things, yeah, you know, and not deal with them, and then deal with the fallout, mm-hmm. which usually was not not <laughs> for either one of us, right, right, so, exactly. So I think, um, and I know there are some Aspies um, who live separately from their wives or their partners. And, you know, they basically date and they have Mm -hmm. their own separate homes and that works well. I think whatever the situation is, whether you have a formal diagnosis or not, I think being honest about your needs and your wants, both partners. And if you can't meet those needs as an individual for yourself and your partner can't or isn't willing to, I think you need to decide, diagnosis or not, whether it's the right relationship for you. Yeah. And that is, I think, for me, the biggest lesson I learned. I realized at some point I couldn't continue in the relationship and um, move forward on the separation because formal diagnosis or not, I felt like I was, um, I was living with a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to piggyback on that, Mona, excuse me, in saying that when we are talking about making these relationships work, I don't think we're saying at the expense of the neurotypical losing themselves and not getting what they want. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that, um, you know, you just conform and do whatever your Aspie needs so that he or she can be happy but you're not getting what you need either. That's not no. what we're saying. When we say no. make it work, there's going to be have there's going to have to be compromise on both ends. And is it going to be a, a perfect fit? No, no relationship is. But you're going to have to both be willing to give each other what the other needs. Um, like I was telling uh, on the last pod- podcast about my birthday a couple weeks ago and my husband purchased tickets for us to go see Wicked. He would never step foot in a theater to see that on his own, but he's <laughs> compromising to do that for me. Right. And it's telling me like, I see you, I hear you, you matter to me. This is important to you. And more importantly, we, we got to go see it. Um, and he didn't sit there and like, oh, my God, this is boring or I don't want to be here. It was none of that. It was seeing the look on my face and seeing that I'm happy. And that made him happy knowing that, you know what, I did this for her. Awesome. So and then, of course, it makes you as a neurotypical say, now, how can I bring the same type of joy and satisfaction into his life? Although his smile may not be, you know, <laughs> it may not be apparent. <laughs> it might right, not even right, be right. there. But, um, you know, you ask, like, are you enjoying this? Are you whatever? Um, That's what we're talking about. Right. So I agree. Yes, I agree. And and I I think it's it's give and take for both partners. Yeah. It's going to look different for both partners. But I think, you know, we started with the importance or uh, whether or not it's important to have a diagnosis. My feeling is no, um, it is not important to have a formal diagnosis. But I think it is important for both partners to agree that your different neurotypes or um, you could be a neurodiverse couple and one of the partners could be ADHD and the other could be um, ASD and you're Mm -hmm. still a neurodiverse couple. One of them may may have Tourette's or Mm -hmm. dyslexia or some other neurodiverse or different neurotype. I think it's important to understand yourself first yes, and then help your partner understand what you need. And then how do you work together as a couple to make sure your needs are met individually and together as a couple? I love that. Yeah. yeah that's how I feel. That's my biggest lesson. Mm-hmm. What about you? Any lessons you want to share? I think that's beautiful. <clears throat> Just the way you said it, Mona, is that I can't teach you what I need until I first know what I need. Amen. So, like you said, I got to understand myself first. And then, like you said, I mean, I help you to understand it. And then we work together. I think that is like, uh, should just be the rule um, to all neurodiverse relationships is that. And before I can even understand what's going on in the relationship, I have to first understand what's going on with me. And that's 
that's the job of the neurodiverse person. Like we can't make them do that. Um, and I know your marriage coming to an end was something that was probably devastating to you, Mona. Oh, absolutely. But I think at the same time you realize like if he wasn't going to do the work, then what would be the purpose of me? I don't want to say wasting, but spending more years just working in the opposite direction. Right. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and <clears throat> that's a great point. I, I never had a regret about mm -hmm. the separation and I have never regretted the divorce. Yes. Um, I'm not a person who focuses on regrets because when I make a decision, I have looked at my actions and all that I've done. And I knew I did everything that I could possibly think of mm -hmm. not to separate. Mm -hmm. And then during the separation, I did everything that, that he asked of me. And he asked a lot of me. I did it all. And I did everything that I could to understand and to help him. No, I wasn't perfect. Far from per perfect. But um, I, I did what I could. And it didn't work out. And I have no regrets, none. And, and I wish that every neurodiverse couple could get to that point where they have no regrets, whatever decision they make. And either they're growing as individuals and together in a relationship mm -hmm. or they're separating or divorcing and they're again, growing as individuals. Mm -hmm. So that would be my wish for all, all couples, you know? So anything else you want to share before I do the closing? No, I think that's it. I think we've said a lot of wonderful things tonight and I just hope our listeners are really, you know, taking heed and uh, if they need to join uh, your support group, um, Mona, I'm sure you're going to give information about that. But the main word is just be informed, be informed. You yeah. cannot change something if you're not informed about what it is. Right, right. Absolutely. And the only thing we can change is ourselves. That's so, it. you know, we can change our way of functioning in the relationship and how we carry on in our life. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. I am thrilled that we just are covering so many topics that I know are helping so many people. And if you'd like more information, we have the Neurodiverse Love website, which is neurodiverselove.com, has links to a lot of other uh interesting information also if you're interested in joining the support group that i facilitate for the neurotypical partners you can send me an email at neurodiverse love the number four the letter u at gmail.com i run two groups for the neurotypical and i'm starting one monthly group for the autistic partner and so you can email me if you're interested in either of those they're free and they usually go for 60 to 90 minutes, depending on how many people we have participating. And then um, if you're interested in following me on, on Instagram, it's neurodiverse underscore love. And also, if you're interested in being a guest, whether you're the neurodiverse partner or the neurotypical, neurotypical partner, or you would like to come on as a couple, Manisa and I would love to have you. And again, you can DM me on Instagram or you can send us an email. So thank you for being here and listening. And please uh, share this with others that you think might be interested. Thank you. And Manisa, I hope you feel better. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right.